The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up. We gather for ordered worship as the beauty of God illumines the imagination and the holiness of God quickens the conscience and the love of God warms the heart and the purposes of God guide our every movement and thought and deed. We welcome you to this service of ordered worship. The liturgy, music, and homily are offered for our gathered congregation here at Marsh Chapel, for our New England radio congregation across the airwaves at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership now and later around the globe at WBUR.org. We invite your prayerful and we need your material support we invite your self-selections and forms of ministry, your response by letter or email, and as the Spirit moves come Sunday, your presence with us in worship. Today on this auspicious Sunday, it is again our privilege to welcome to our pulpit the Reverend Dr. Walter Earl Fluker, the Martin Luther King Professor of Ethical Leadership at Boston University and the editor of the Howard Thurman Papers. With him, we welcome our friend and colleague and neighbor, Dr. Sharon Fluker, as well. Following service today, please take a moment warmly to greet Walter and Sharon. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
May we pray together. Almighty God, who created us in your image, grant us grace fearlessly to contend against evil and to make no peace with oppression, and that we may reverently use our freedom, help us to employ it in the maintenance of justice in our communities and among the nations, to the glory of your holy name, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. Well, beloved, we gather as we approach the open meadow of grace each Sunday to lift our silent and personal prayers of confession. On this day of memory and on this day of hope, we remember the poetry of R.B.Y. Scott who wrote, O day of God, draw nigh in beauty and in power. Come with thy timeless judgment now to match this present hour. As our choir sings for us the traditional Kyrie, may we bow together in silent confession. Let us pray. have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. But for the grace of God, we would not be. But for the grace of God, we would, could not love. But for the grace of God, we should not speak. But by God's grace, we live and love and speak. Hear the good news. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 62, verses 1 through 5. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet. Till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your vindication and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or, your na or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah. For the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. The word of the Lord.
A lesson from Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 12, verses 1 to 11. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or another, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. The word of the Lord. I invite you to join me in reading verses from Psalm 36 with the antiphon. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains, your judgments are like the great deep. You say humans and animals alike, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. All people may take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast in the abundance of your house and give you a drink from the river of your lives. From, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. invite you to stand as you feel able for the Gloria Patre and the reading of the gospel lesson. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. John, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Glory to you, O Lord. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. 
When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana and Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ. Boy, that felt good. <laughs> to my good friend and distinguished colleague and neighbor, Robert A. Hill, and to the one who puts the sauce in his walk, Jan Hill, <laughs> and to all of you who are listening, I'm delighted to be back. I believe it was last January I was here. Uh, memory is a big issue when you cross certain yard lines, but I'm sure I was here before and this feels very familiar. <laughs> As we commemorate the 50th anniversary of Martin Luther King Jr.'s famous I Have a Dream speech, I'm struck by the synergy of the messages of the scripture which you've just heard from the common lectionary for this second Sunday after Epiphany. Each in his own way speaks to the occasion of our memory of this great American patriot and Christian minister. Our scripture from the Hebrew Bible speaks of God's commitment to a people whom Yahweh will deliver 
from his exile. The epistle reading addresses the spiritual gifts that will edify the church. In our gospel reading, John reports the wedding feast in Cana of Galilee, where Jesus performs his first miracle by turning water to wine. So today, in this brief time together, I ask you to reflect on Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream for America and the world 50 years later within the context of his Christian witness and what his dream still means for us who are committed to the vision of a better world where peace and justice flow like a mighty river and Zion shall rejoice. You do know I'm Baptist, right? <laughs> That's why I went straight into the text because it takes me a little longer to get into the mood. Martin Luther King Jr. Was, was a miracle worker. He did not change water to wine like Jesus in our lectionary text, but he changed America forever. And in my opinion, that's much harder and more important. But most importantly for our purposes this morning, Martin Luther King Jr. came preaching he did not preach at us, but prophesied on behalf of the lost, the left out, and the left behind. He did not preach religiosity, doctrine, dogma, but proclaimed a message of faith and freedom for all people, regardless of creed or color. His words were eventful and imaginative, grandiloquent. In him, what we heard was what Dean Thurman called the sound of the genuine. That first order, primal language, Ray Hart calls it the white heat intimacy of the word that dwells among us. In his prophetic sermonizing, the liberating and enlightening character of the gospel was disclosed. The word became flesh, and we, the hearers, were translated into spheres of possibility, connecting America's past with America's future. This was King's peculiar gift, the gift of prophecy. However we choose to characterize this remarkable human being, we must first do service to this incredible gift of prophecy, which was nurtured in the black church tradition of proclamation and celebration of the word that continues to become flesh and dwells among us. King spoke from this rich heritage where the personal God of the Bible, who is neither a philosophical abstraction or a psychological projection, but a living reality takes a passionate interest in God's creatures. King thought of God as a benevolent and just power who takes sides, who takes sides with the oppressed. How else can we understand and appreciate his word to us today? How shall we respond 50 years later to the truth that was spoken and the challenge posed to a nation that had forfeited on a promissory note of freedom. We often miss this marvelous truth when we relegate Martin King to a great civil rights leader, which he was, or to a sophisticated modernist who held in creative tension the great ethical principles of equality and freedom. He was all of these and more. But at the end of our analyses and commentaries on this extraordinary human being, we must finally agree that he came as a preacher to the nation and the world, sharing a dream as old as humanity, a dream that all people are created in the image of God and endowed with infinite worth and dignity, 
a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted, every hill and mountain shall be made low, the rough places will be made plain, and the crooked places will be made straight, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. They allow you to say amen in Marsh Chapel. You can say amen. This was the essence of his speech on Mar uh, August 28, 1963 as part of a national campaign for jobs and freedom for the least of these. On that day, the issue that was laid before the nation was that millions of Americans were the victims of equality, inequality, 100 years after Abraham Lincoln had signed the Emancipation Proclamation. Now, 150 years after the signing, of the Emancipation Proclamation and 50 years after the March on Washington. We have twice elected the first African-American president of the United States, yet millions of African-Americans and millions of other Americans live on a lonely island of poverty in a vast ocean of material prosperity. What does it mean this day? For us now, trapped in a dysfunctional civil discourse that cannot decide which way to go. My childhood pastor, he wasn't well-educated, but boy, he was good. He said, uh, he'd always ask the question, he said, now there's a snake that had one head and there was a snake with two heads. And the barn caught on fire. He said, which snake will get out? And he was very impatient. He would interrupt your thinking, and he'd say, the snake with one head, of course. Why? Because the others are all arguing over which way to go. However you interpret my pastor's parable about the snakes, I always thought that one snake with 10 heads had 20 eyes at least, and might be able to see more than one snake with just two eyes. The trouble is that traditional understandings of leadership see only one sole authority as leader. What we've got to do in this nation and in this Congress is find a way to look, listen, and learn together. And that will not happen in Congress until it happens here among us. However one chooses to understand this story, the lesson is clear. We're in trouble. The barn is on fire. And we've got to figure out which way to go. I'd like to suggest that King leaves us with some important lessons on where we should begin. First, we will need courage that is faith and a faith that is rooted in compassion. King often used the story of the Good Samaritan to illustrate this point. The Good Samaritan who rescued a stranger who had been beaten and left for dead on the side of the Jericho Road was moved beyond charity to action, beyond piety and platitude to courage and compassion. He showed compassion for the stranger even at the risk of his own safety. King, however, takes the story beyond an individual act of compassion to address larger structural concerns of justice as fairness. In his Riverside speech in 1967, he says a true revolution of values will soon cause us to question the fairness and justice of many of our past and present policies. On the one hand, we are called to play the Good Samaritan on life's roadside, but that will be only an initial act. One day we must come to see that the whole Jericho Road must be transformed so that men and women will not be constantly beaten and robbed as they make their journey on life's highway. Like King and so many others who made his melodious baritone possible, we must remember, retell, and relive the great story of compassion for strangers we meet on the road. Here in Boston, 
and in communities around this nation and the globe. We have strangers in ditches set up, beaten to near death, and left to die on the side of the road. In that part of the city that makes the news every night, where young men and women lie in their own blood, the victims of gun violence and the perverse availability of drugs, we must assume leadership on the road. Who will speak for the families of murdered children if we do not respond? Who will be the witnesses to new possibilities for an entire generation of young people who sit in the shadows of postmodern genocide? If not us, then who? We must go to those in the ditch, cleanse their wounds, bandage up their sores, nurture them to health. But even more must be done, says King. We must also ask the more problematic questions. Who ambushed and robbed these children? Who set them up? Who left them in the ditch to die? Why are we building more and bigger jails and prisons while cutting education budgets? Who is blaming the victim for the massive moral and ethical dilemmas they must negotiate without recourse to capital skills and competencies that lead them into a future without hope? Who makes the rules around here? Who enforces the rules? Courage and compassion that demand justice are at the heart of King's American dream. If we are to continue his dream, it's important to note that Martin Luther King Jr. talked about a dream in 1963, but it did not arise from a historical vacuum. It began long before he was catapulted into national and international fame after the Montgomery bus boycott, long before he stood before the Lincoln Memorial and declared to a pilgrimage of thousands that America had written its citizens of color a bad check that had come back marked insufficient funds. It began long before his campaigns for open accommodations and voting rights long before his outspoken stance on an unjust war in Vietnam. His dream was born in the violent context of the Deep South, where the inseparable twins of white racism and economic injustice had relegated black people to the status of things, non-persons without names and destinies. The dream of community which sent him forth into the segregated South and into the teeming ghettos of the urban North was nurtured by a deep sense of mission and purpose that was part of his Christian legacy and the legacy of his slave forebears and the long, torturous struggle of brave men and women, black and white and yellow and brown and red, who had come before him, who refused to believe that equality and decency were the special birthrights of color and class. And I know here at Boston University, we talk about his intellectual odyssey, and it was enriched by Crozer Theological Seminary, Morehouse College, and Boston University. It was deepened by his discovery in the philosophy of civil disobedience articulated by Henry David Thoreau and Mahatma Gandhi, but long before Gandhi and Thoreau, long before his philosophical and theological investigations at Boston and Crozer, long before he studied Rousseau and Hobbes and Locke and Nietzsche and Kierkegaard, Tillich, Breitman, the Wolf, long before the dream which propelled him on the stage of history had germinated and grown in the hearts and minds of a proud people who simply wanted to be free. I close today because I know that the radical nature of Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream that had begun in Montgomery shifted around 1964 
and became more and more of what we call the nightmare. And this radical part of his dream, calling for the reconstruction of American society, will make some people uneasy, especially those who are content to hold on to their guns. Let that sink in. Those who are content to see business as usual in America, in the ravaged countries of Africa and Latin America and Southeast Asia and the Middle East, and at the core of our nation's inner cities. Killing started before Connecticut. Chicago had over 500 homicides just last year. King's dream, if it is to continue, must not become the dream of sentimental pop patriots, not for Christians who wave the flag higher than they wave the cross. Rather, it is the continuing struggle against racism, economic injustice, warmongering, homophobia, and all forms of oppression which eat away at the heart of our body politic like an insidious cancer. It is a call for a new vanguard of visionaries who are willing to go into the no trespassing zones of this world system and declare a new message of hope. There's a story by Olive Schreiner, it's my favorite, but I borrowed it from Howard Thurman. It's a story of an old mother duck who had for years taken her little ducklings down to the pond. I tell it everywhere I go. She would take them down each spring to the same pond and teach them to swim. On this particular spring day, she took them down to the pond, but the water had dried up. Nothing was left but baked mud. Still, she insisted on their going down to the pond and learning to swim. She was not aware that just above, a new dam had been constructed and that the water would never come back there again. And the young ducks, though their mother insisted, could smell the fresh chickweed and the water in the back of the new dam. And so they left the mother in search of new water, perhaps to lose themselves on the way, perhaps to find themselves. Sriner writes to the old mother duck, old mother duck, can't you see that this water is gone forever? And if you and yours will ever swim again, it must be in other waters. Oh, my friends, on this day when we commemorate the legacy of Martin Luther King, Jr., when we witnessed the swearing in again of Barack Hussein Obama, as we record memory of the Emancipation Proclamation let us not get lost at the old dam. The ground has shifted. And I tell you today, if you dare to dream in this world, dream of new possibilities that go beyond simply King's dream, but a dream of a new world rising and a world that has already come. Dream on, dreamers. Great camp meeting in the promised land. We are drawn to a time of corporate prayer by the speaking and hearing of God's word. We invite you to place yourself in a posture of prayer 
fit for you, your own most self. Stand or kneel. Some will want to come to the communion rail as we bow together for this morning's prayer and prepare ourselves by singing our call to prayer, Lead Me, Lord. O thou spirit, thou divine, loving presence, God of memory and of hope, thou who is loving us into love and freeing us into freedom. We ask, we pray, kindle our memory and quicken our hope on this sun-dappled Sunday morning. Give us a sober memory, a stern recollection, we ask, of ways and times in which we have, through our avarice, hurt others, through our greed, harmed others, through our wrong-headed longing, caused others pain. And give us, too, the memory of those who guided us forward to a better place and clearer water. Those Abraham and Sarah and Abraham Lincoln too. Harriet Tubman and Harriet Beecher Stowe. Martin Luther and Martin Luther King. John Wesley and Howard Thurman. May their whispers of the incandescence of intimacy touch us in memory. O oh, thou, thou God of hope and inspiration, help us to face those near and far for whom hope is inverted and looks for an unwanted and an untoward violence and hurt, personal or collective. And yet give us this day again the hope that there will one day, one horizon day, be a time when all Earth's children walk together in peace, walk together in joy, walk together in love. God of our weary years, God of our silent tears, thou hast, who has brought us thus far along the way, Thou who has by thy might led us into the light, keep us forever on the path, we pray. Lest our feet stray from the places, our God, where we met thee. Lest our hearts, drunk with the wine of the world, we forget thee. Shadowed beneath thy hand, may we forever stand true to our God, true to our native land. O God of memory and hope, thou loving us into love and freeing us into freedom, embrace us this hour, we ask, with the cross and resurrection of Christ, who gave us his own words to say together, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be always with you. We greet you once again here in the Nave of Marsh Chapel this fine Sunday morning, and we hope you will take a moment to help us get to know you better so that we can help, to get you, help you to get to know one another better throughout the coming week by putting your name and contact information in the red books found along the center aisle of each pew. Here to make a special announcement about the Thurman Choir is our Director of Music, Dr. Scott Allen Jarrett. Good morning. Uh, now that our semester is underway, for the spring of 2013, we begin anew with the Thurman Choir rehearsals starting next Sunday after worship. We'll resume our schedule of second and fourth Sundays. That's 12.30 to 1.30 downstairs. So come for 11 a.m. worship, and then we'll gather downstairs. If you didn't join last semester and would like to join this semester, you're certainly invited. All are welcome, and we'll have a schedule with more detail to come. Secondly, uh, you may have noticed this morning that all the service music sung today is by the composer Benjamin Britten. Uh, 2013 is the 100th anniversary of Benjamin Britten, and Marsh Chapel will observe many festival starting softly today with service music and then in the coming weeks with anthems and concerts. And you'll see more information about that in the coming weeks, but we hope you'll observe and participate and celebrate uh, this wonderful music from this wonderful composer. We hope you will keep an eye in the term book, which is available beginning this week. We hope you picked one up on your way in, or if not, that you'll pick one up on your way out uh, for all of the services and activities throughout the coming term. Uh, we will note that tomorrow, uh, in observance of King Day, the university is closed, except for some special activities we have uh, scheduled in honor of Dr. King. At 10.30 tomorrow morning, uh, the ministry assistants and I will be giving a guided tour looking at the BU legacy leading up to uh, Dr. King, uh, via the Reverend Dr. Howard Thurman, uh, will meet in the narthex at 10.30 in the morning and then stop by the King Archives next door. And then at 1 p.m. in the afternoon is the university celebration of Dr. King uh, on the theme lyrics this year. That's 1 p.m. in Metcalf Hall at the George Sherman Union. We hope you will join us. As the ushers wait upon us for the morning offering, we would invite you to meditate upon Renee Clausen's setting of the Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verses 6 through 7, Set Me as a Seal. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
Glorious, generous God, who bestows unique and powerful spiritual gifts to each of us beloved children, help us offer our gifts and talents freely and with love, so that others may also be encouraged to share abundantly. Through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. Together we shall sing the song, together we shall sound the trumpet, together we shall lift the tune of freedom. And now, a word of benediction. May the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, comfort and guide and continue to bless you now and forever. Amen.